Hi, July. Good morning. Let's give uh, everybody three more minutes. Uh, I'm going to get started uh, uh, at twelve fifteen. I think it's because I switch over to the daylight saving time. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, I did the call Rob, and he was in D.C. when I called him. I think on Tuesday. And he's with his uh, grandson in D.C. Because uh, after the trip. Oh, let me take you, July. Hey, Peter. Hey, how are you? Hey, good. Where are you? These Are you in Delaware? I mean, are you yes, talking about yes. Okay. Yes, I'm back in Delaware. Yes, I'm back in Delaware. Unfortunately, because uh, I start a new job and I have to pick up the laptop that the company is shipping to me yeah. uh, on February the 20th. That's why I have to come back. Well, I mean, and you you also knew that you were going to have a little bit of time where you'd be tied up with that new everything you had to do and figure out and blah, blah, blah. So, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. You, yep. You'd gotten used to being on the road and being your own, you know, wild man out there free and <laughs> traveling. <laughs> it's uh, extremely encouraging because I find so many people just like me. I was quite impressed. Yeah. And uh, these, uh, I mean, in addition to homeless people <laughs> that I came across, there's a. Uh, I've met a guy from Chicago. He's originally from uh, Czechoslovakia, and he does uh, contractor work for like a, putting like air conditioners and stuff like that. So all he did, he drive this a Sprinter with a surfboard. All he just stayed in uh, Key West, oh. and uh, met a guy from California. He has probably the uh, the least uh, fancy <laughs> accommodation because he literally have a little Toyota pickup truck, and uh, that's probably 1995 <laughs> Toyota pickup truck, and uh, he just made a, a like a makeshift bed in the in the back, and that is his uh pretty much his mobile home. So uh, well, and, uh, he, it sounds like you're. Uh, about that um, it's sort of a culture of being on the road and having your own uh, little home on your back like a turtle almost and yeah. and, yes. and there's a Frances McDormand movie that I want to say she won the Oscar for just a couple of years ago Nomadland have you seen that oh, okay yeah I think I heard about it yes I'm yes that's the that's the yes I this is called the digital nomad <laughs> I heard about the digital nomad so that's why I want what I want to try and uh, and uh well I because, think, I mean no, I'll put it in the chat here it's um so it is you know it won at least a, an Oscar or two but um she I mean and she's always great and of course it's from the base nomad as we know, and, but, and, and she, you know, a lot of times people end up that way, but then people are so clever in their inventiveness, how they sort of, you know, sometimes people can't get out from under their problems, obviously, for a lot of reasons, but, but a lot of people sort of reinvent themselves as this kind of traveler. She's one of her character in this movie, and it was based on, you know, going around and visiting these communities you're talking about. And um, so and so all different stories, as many different stories as there are people, obviously. But yes, um, yes. But, 
her little her little turtle house that she's kind of put together and um i think you'd like it it's definitely a nar- more of a narrative version than a documentary but it's full of real facts from you know real people's stories um so it's very respected for being um truthful and and it's gritty it's not really pulling punches on the being hollywood glamorized you know and anything like that Mm -hmm. and and this is today is oscar day actually now that i think about it so i guess it's kind of of appropriate to bring Mm -hmm. that up so yes absolutely absolutely yeah i uh because i have to come back anyway because the truck needs some kind of a uh maintenance work to be done and uh i lost the bicycle so i bought a folding bicycle but I still need to arrange how to place that folding bicycle inside the truck. And, uh, uh, uh but however, I am about to set out to live in a state park, uh, in Delaware, which is next to the beach on a fishing pier. I'm intend to stay there for like at least a month yeah. because okay. it has, it has water. It has facilities right next to it. It's 24 hour facility. And I got the state park annual pass. And, uh, there's a YMCA should not be too far away. So I'm going to take showers over there and I'm just going to try over there. And, uh, but I'll tell you, it is cold in Delaware. <laughs> I cannot, I was, I, I was uh, not feeling well. I was like, uh, boy, I, I now I understand why people move to Florida, move to California. It's just yeah. because, uh, right. The climate is just way better. So well, it is, except weirdly, I mean, you probably know we've had these crazy series of storms out here and colder, like there was snow in the San Fernando Valley, which it didn't really stick, but the atmosphere was so cold above that we had snow. And I, I don't know if that's ever happened in mm-hmm. in the valley, as we call it, but, you know, there's up in the mountains, but there was a place up in the mountains that had nine feet of snow and we're just not prepared in California. I mean, we've been known, like you said, like Florida for being that warm and I've been out here many years and you do get really used to it. That's what you're talking about. You were in Florida for a while and you were like, Ooh, my, my blood's thinner or something. I, Yes, everything is is way, I mean, there's a lot of older people, of course I can observe. Right. Uh, but the climate is just incredibly, uh, favorable and, uh, I have learned that, um, they, you know, I mean, on the mainstream media, they tell you how horrible the hurricane is and all that. They actually, the local residents told me it's not that bad. They say, you know, some of them just drive away if the hurricane comes, when a hurricane comes and they return. They say, you know, your house can be easily cleaned up and, and all that. So yeah, you get a warning for hurricanes. That's true. But it is, it's also climate change I'm talking about too, with California having these crazy storms. I mean, which we needed the rain. Don't get me wrong. And, but just the people in the nine feet of snow were snowed in for over a week. They just didn't have the equipment to get them out. And they were, and, and you know, there are stories like that in any kind of disaster and everything, but just the weirdness of the volatility of the weather and climate change and weather, you know, some yes. of these in Florida, especially Key West, you mentioned, which is a traditional sort of place that people go to escape and sort of, you know, known for their being, you know, uh, kind of a hippies and musicians and, um, you know, just people like wanting to live kind of an, uh, a fun kind of um, off the grid or, or um, what's the word? Um, 
alternative to some of the grind of the usual free yes. spirit, a very free spirit kind of yes. area. Key West is so different. I mean, so Caribbean. It's just a, like a fantastic mix of people and yeah. the poor and the rich. I think there's a lot of rich people there too. I'm very sure. But at the yeah. same time, it's a, a very poor neighborhood too. And, uh, but it seems to me they're all getting along. A lot of marijuana usage, which is, I think helps. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's just but amazing. And, uh, and uh, my uh, my current employer is based in Orlando, so I definitely is going to go down to Florida again this coming winter, and uh, just 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 to meet them and, and all that. So, uh, so hey, bye. hey, hey, guys, you're probably seeing the transition from what it was a traditional sort of a hippie lifestyle, just to use a catch-all word, but um, but any place that has you know, great real estate, you know that the big wigs are going to come in and want it. So it's it's probably some of that affordability and off the grid lifestyle is in the process of changing. Of course, another force is it's so, you know, the climate change and the sea rising, whether that's going to, you know, lose some of its actual coastline and stuff down there in South Florida. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, right now, I mean, uh, my first trip, of course, uh, I learned a lot of lessons, right? I mean, from now on, I'm not going to stop by large cities because they're just uh, too much crime that, uh, that I, need, I have to worry about. I don't want to do that. So I, I find out it just has to be small city. I just need to, like, for example, I just need to find out a place where there's a Costco. And likely that town is, uh, you know, uh, relatively speaking, okay. And, uh, and, uh, I just need a place where there's a YMCA where I can take my shower, uh, once every day, uh, once every other day. And, uh, you know, uh, so, but the, the scenery is just, uh, incredibly beautiful. Like in Florida, I find out I don't have to go to Key West per se. I find out Treasury Coast area is fantastic because they are not that warm because in Miami, in Key West, it gets to 85 degrees. I mean, to a lot of people, that's good, but to me, that's too hot. <laughs> you know, I need it to be like a low 80s <laughs> and the mid 70s is my perfect weather, you know, <laughs> but if that was the case when, when I was in Florida. So I said, okay, no, no, I'm not going to go that deep. You know, probably if it's getting real cold, I will go to Key West, but otherwise, uh, central Florida coast area is, is good enough. And, uh, and uh, also, by the way, there is a small town. It's almost like a suburbs. So there's a very little crime. And the police are super nice with the homeless people. So, you know, they really allow me to do whatever, stay there for, for, for like three weeks without bothering me. And uh, they, you know, and uh, so that's all good. And it's just like a suburban small town environment. Uh, you are not disturbing the neighborhood and you can just, you know, enjoy the scenery around and then just do some of my work, you know, earn a living and then yeah. just move on to the next, next stop. So I kind of want to do this, uh, uh, after I, uh, try my luck in the, in the, in this, uh, beach park in, in Delaware, uh, this coming, I would say probably April in, in early April, I'm going that direction. And then afterwards, I'm going to head north to like a Finger Lake area, uh, and then probably visit the Warden Pond, uh, in Massachusetts, the, uh, Henry David Thoreau's uh, home, tiny yeah. house. So I just want to, you know, visit some of those ways. And I have a lot of friends in New England, so I want to visit them also. So, well, especially as the weather 
you know, gets nicer. You'll be heading north. You'll get the wonderful spring. And of course, you were down in Florida, which is traditional to be down there in the winter because it is nice and warm. But oh, yeah, when it turns to spring and especially summer with the heat and the humidity, I mean, that's going to be crazy down there. So, and the mosquitoes. Yes, I know. Yes, I told them I'm not going to stay there in summer because (laughs) it's just too hot. (laughs) It's just too hot. You know, I can't stay in the indoor get air conditioned all the time. I think it's not good for you. <laughs> so, well, that's yeah, the yeah. I, I am. I'm going to follow up with Rob uh, this coming week because uh, I'm pretty sure he's back from his uh, grand grandson uh, in DC, and because uh, uh, I want to get this thing ro- ro- rolling because uh, you know I, I think this could be a good project. Period. So, so I, I very much look forward to it. All right. Well, cool. Well, I, I, I wrote to Bide if he wanted to come up. It sounds like he's really already about to jump on a plane, so he's probably tied up. If he pops back and wants to talk, just come on up if you got a few minutes before you got to go. But uh, yes, I'll yeah, just, let, let, go, go ahead. Julie. I'll just go ahead and hang up So, because you're about to start your monologue. So Sure, sure. Yeah, feel free to uh, call back in. You know, I would love to hear your feedback on all that. So, good morning, uh, Phil. Good morning, Abide. And uh, good morning, everybody, for those who are going to listen later. So, today, I want to talk about Karen. Uh, I did not know until really recently. She really should be my best friend forever. Uh, because uh, I started to research this white privilege topic back in 2016. So, as you can imagine, when I Google that term, white privilege, this uh, Peggy McIntosh's name will show up very first because uh, she is a professor. Uh, she is very well educated. I'll just read off uh, her Wikipedia page. Peggy McIntosh, uh, she is a American feminist, anti-racism activist, scholar, speaker, and a senior research scientist of the Wellesley Centers for Women. In 1988, she published the article, White Privilege and Male Privilege, a personal account of coming to see correspondences through work in women's studies. This analysis and its shorter version, White Privilege, unpacking the invisible net sex, pioneer putting the dimension of privilege into discussions of power, gender, race, class, and sexuality in the United States. To me, packing, uh, I had a, uh, email exchange with her. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my most recent email upset her a great deal, to which I apologized to her. Because uh, when I e- reached out to uh, Peggy back in 2016, I brought this question to her. I, I felt uh, I, I told her that I felt that her narratives on white privilege is more of a cultural thing, a behavioral thing, or a, a, a social interaction thing. But I told her that I felt that a white privilege is a legal con- construct. It's a more of a governmental arrangement uh, instead of a just a, you know, behavioral uh, characteristics of that. I actually emailed her and CC'd a law professor at the NYU, New York University. Uh, New York University Law School is also a very prestigious law school. And uh, I forgot the first name of this law professor. Her last name is Law, L-A-W. And because uh, I kind of want to CC her because um, Professor McIntosh, 
CC the this law professor on my email chain. So I explained to this uh, gender woman, saying that I felt that the white privilege really is a governmental thing, a legal thing, and uh, they they were not convinced at that time. Uh, but the most recently, I have expressed to Professor McIntosh is that now I can I'm certain that the white privilege should be considered a legal construct, a governmental privilege. And uh, I unjustifiably criticized her for ignoring that. And she angrily <laughs> responded to me, say, saying that she never ignored that fact. There were systemic racism in this country. So, and uh, which, of course, I agree with her and I apologize to her. So, Packing Macintosh, she acknowledged economically, uh, academically and uh, empirically that she has been a Karen throughout her life. Now, she did this uh, back in 1988. That's a long, long time ago, right? You know, she definitely is a feminist. She definitely is a progressive. No, no doubt about that. So Karen, as a slang, really came out very recently. Karen is a slang term for a white woman perceived as entitled or demanding beyond the scope of what is normal. The term is often portrayed in memes depicting white women who use their white privileges to demand their own way. Amy Cooper, the Karen of the Central Park, New York, had proved Professor McIntosh's theory. Because I'm pretty sure Peggy McIntosh has been criticized by a lot of people when bring, when she brought up this concept of these topics of white privilege. But I would say it's very fitting that nowadays, Karen, this uh, social media creation, uh, totally has uh, vindicated uh, Peggy McIntosh's theory. So to me, Karen is the flesh and the blood evidence of a white privilege. And if you listen to the end, I will tell you why it's actually supported by the, I think this is supported by the judicial white privilege as well. So that, in a nutshell, is what I want to talk about today. Guys, feel free to call in if you disagree or have your comments, okay? So I'm going to quickly run by some news update. I think it's worth of, uh, worthy of uh, noting. The first one is this uh, QAnon shaman. <laughs> now, I think I've made myself pretty clear. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm not a Biden supporter. But I have a lot of comments about this uh, January 6 prosecutions. QAnon Sharman's lawyer now have seen more footages about this guy's uh, excursion into the Capitol building. <laughs> now this uh, lawyer of a QAnon Sharman came out on Tucker Carlson's show saying that had he known those video footages, he would not have advised his client to take the plea deal, which required QAnon Sharman to sit in jail for like a 41 month or 55 month, but he is supposed to be released this year. But the key is this, what I want to show is this. White privilege is bad for white people also. It shows on this QAnon Sharman. As we all know, over 90% of the criminal cases ended with a plea deal. Meaning you never go through the jury trial 
which is a constitutional protected privilege and rights. Because the lawyers, including the prosecutors, including your defense attorneys, will do your thing to trick you not to go through a trial. Who knows the evidence in favor of him the best? Kyunan Sharman himself. He should have known the two police officers escorted him instead of preventing him from entering the Capitol building. He is, he was being shown around in that building. So the, 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 content, the content of a violent content, violent nature of his act on that day is definitely debatable. I'm not saying he is innocent. I'm just saying it's debatable. I think it's appropriate to have a jury to decide, a jury of his peers to decide whether this guy is really a violent actor on that day of January 6th. He's definitely very theatrical, no doubt about that. But is he a really a violent element on that day? I'm not sure by looking at this, those videos. So here again, our justice system doesn't produce justice. Our justice system just get these cases over with, which just means that they will, the legal system will threaten defendants, criminal defendants. In this case, Kyunan Sharman. A typical narrative will be say, okay, Mr. Sharman, you better take this plea arrangement because otherwise, if you go through a jury trial, the courts will be upset with you. The courts, in addition to send you uh, into a harsher sentence, the courts are going to fine you uh, a big, big amount of money. So just to save everybody's trouble, you better just take the plea offer and uh, you know admit your guilt. That's usually how the justice system works. It does not work. It, this is the same. This is the same trick that are being applied to the racial minorities in the past. Now it is being broadly applied to everybody, including the white defendants. So this is the one piece of news I want to share with. The second piece I want to share with is a Jane Founder. I always felt that Jane Founder is probably too old to be a revolutionary, but guess what? She seems to be willing to come back. Jane Founder showed up. On the, on the, on the view. By the way, I don't follow views. I just follow if they, someone said something outrageous on those shows. So apparently Jane Fonda is very upset with the Dobbs decision. Of course, I don't blame her for that, right? So one of the hosts on the view asked her, say, Jane, uh, what should we do as a woman in addition to protest and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, demonstrations? on the U.S. Supreme Court and all that. And Jane Founder's response is, murder, M-U-R-D-E-R. <laughs> so her friends was shocked. Her friends, uh, the view was shocked. Are you serious? Are you just kidding? She said, no. <laughs> She's like, a, you, you can look at the footage yourself. She said, murder, M-U-R-D-E-R. So this is what I want to show you guys is this. When the government becomes lawbreaker, People really can get upset. They can really sometimes take law into their own hands, including using violent means. And Jim Fonda is no exception. And I find out too that she still have some fire under her belly 
when it comes to women's rights. For that, you know, I applaud her. My only regret is this. She should have done more about the Vietnam War because uh, I have, in my past episode, I have said the deep state, the, the American people has never learned the true lesson from the Vietnam War. Uh, if I were Jing Fonda, I will make a big deal out of this Vietnam War, even after the Vietnam War is over. Uh, it's because we collectively never learned the lessons from Vietnam. That's why we continuously get involved with overseas wars at our own expense and uh, and also to the detriment of uh, of the people in those foreign lands so so that's about Jane Fonda uh, the last thing I want to say is this I did not know this boy this Malcolm X is something else you know I admire Donald Trump for the reasons that he come up with this word fake news right during the 2016 election well, guess what? I did not know this. Malcolm X has his own take on the mainstream media. So I'm going to quote him. I did not know this until recently, and which is very relevant to the topic of Karen. Here is what Malcolm X said. Quote, the media's most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent. And that's power. Because they control the minds of the masses. The press is so powerful in its image-making role. It can make the criminal look like he's the victim and make the victim look like he's the criminal. This is the press, an irresponsible press. It will make the criminal look like he's the victim and make the victim look like he's the criminal. If you aren't careful, the newspapers will have you hating the people who are being oppressed and loving the people who are doing the oppressing, unquote. I was reading this two days ago. I was like, what the F? <laughs> How come I did not know this? <laughs> because uh, as I'm going to go through the Karen story, that's exactly what the Karen did. You know, so, so without further ado, I'm going to go into the introduction of, of this part. So that's the news I want to talk about. I did not know Malcolm X already had the comments about the mainstream media. And he is spot on. You know, a lot of the MAGA people is upset for the fact that Trump is never a Russian spy or Russian assets. The criminal are the FBI who chase after him. The criminals are the Hillary operatives who made up a story that Trump is a criminal in that regard. If you, if a woman accused Trump of a sexual criminal, I will, I will likely believe that woman. By everything Trump said and, and by everything he does, I, I can believe that. But saying he will take money from Russians to be a Russian spy, you have to convince me a, a, a vegan uh, killed a pig for, for, for meat. So basically, th that's how bad it is. So now let me get started with this uh, Karen story. So the reason, again, I need to talk about Karen is I just recently realized Karen is really the flesh and blood evidence of the existence of white privilege. I got, as you can imagine, I got a lot of pushbacks by talking about this. Uh, uh, Mace, 
uh, star, uh, star Walker. He is the handle in this uh, 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 peng, penguin hangout uh, on Colin. And he challenged me, how can you say there's a white privilege in America? So I responded to him by saying there's the four type of landmarks in America that you cannot erase that shows there's a white privilege. Reservation for the Native American, plantation for the black slaves, internment camps, internment camps for the Japanese Americans, and the U.S. territory called the Puerto Rico's. All these landmarks has the boundaries for specific type of people, specific type of race. You will never find any landmarks in this country that is that that has boundaries that white people has to stay in within those boundaries. So I responded to him that way. But now with the Karen's help, I need not to argue more because uh, Karen is just the real life street evidence of white privilege and uh, people sometimes talk about trump is a uh, trump uh karen in chief also yes i will say so too because uh trump is very good at portraying himself as a victim he's very good in that you know uh, i will not use actual example uh jimmy fox this uh Hollywood star, he once impersonated Trump, <laughs> and I found out to be hilarious, because he did it so well. The, uh, the most famous sentence he said is this. He's trying to mimic Trump, which I'm going to try to do also. We're talking about COVID. They give me the virus! They give me the virus! That's Trump. Very, very good in making himself a victim. So now let's talk about the incident of a Karen in the Central Park. Christian Cooper, who is a black man, uh, he had a video uh, made taping the exact encounter with this white woman, Amy Cooper. So Christian Cooper's video begins with Amy Cooper approaching him, asking him to stop shooting videos. And she's doing it while pointing her fingers at this guy's face. And the reason Christian Cooper, this black man, approached Amy Cooper, the white woman, is that he saw Amy Cooper's dog is not on the leash. When there's a rule in Central Park, New York, at least in this section, the dogs has to be have to be on the leash. So Christian Cooper told Amy Cooper that please don't come close to me. And then Amy Cooper then said to Christian, I'm calling the cops. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. And quote. She then put out her phones and began calling the police. And when connected to the 911 operator, she tells the operator that, quote, there is an African-American man. I'm in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening me, threatening myself and my dog. Please send the cops immediately, unquote. And uh, and uh, the video ends with uh, Christian Cooper, the black man, thank telling her, thank you, quote, uh, quote, thank you, unquote. I think that means that he just want her to put her dog on the leash. And, uh, and uh, so that is the encounter, pretty much. 
So Christian Cooper's sister posted a video on her Twitter account, while Christian posted the video on his own Facebook page. The Twitter video alone received over over forty million views. Amy Cooper's action on the video is, you know, just pretty much totally transparent for everybody to see.、Uh, she was accused of falsely presenting herself as being in a imminent physical danger. Remember, she is portraying herself on the phone that she was the victim. In the context of a tendency for people and the police to treat black people with suspicion, <laughs> in the video, Amy was seen dragging her dog, a cocker spaniel, by its collar, and、uh, she had had to surrender the dog to the shelter from which she had adopted him, the dog, two years ago. And、uh, so that is、uh, the story of、uh, Karen. And、uh, so now here I'm just going to read what I read from Wikimedia, because there is clearly a racial context. There is a clearly whitewashing afterwards, and、uh, there is clearly some governmental actions after this Karen in the Central Park incident, right? And so, and I'm going to talk about just linking those.、Uh, Comments on social media, on Wikipedia, to my show, to my theory of judicial white privilege. Okay, so first on the racial context,、uh, context. Time called Times. I think it's a magazine called the Mimi Internet shorthand for a particular kind of racial violence white women had instigated for centuries. Following a long and troubling legacy of white women in the country weaponizing their victimhood, I think th- that's when Magazine Times is calling that. Used University of Virginia media researcher Meredith Clark has said that the idea of a white woman in the vicinity of whom black people feel a need to be careful because she will not hesitate to use her quote privilege unquote. At the expense of others, has always been there. It just hasn't always been so specific to one person's name. Karen Grisby Bates agreed that Karen is part of a succession of characters like Miss Anne and Becky, adding that the concept of Karen, as black people had been using the term. Became clear to white people when Saturday Night Live played a Jeopardy sketch with the Chadwick Boseman playing as his Black Panther character, T'Challa. The Guardian notes that the image of a white woman calling police on black people put the lie on the to the myth of racial innocence. Contemporary Karens have been compared to Caroline, Caroline Bryant. A white woman who accused Emmett Till of offending her, resulting in his lynching, and Mayela Uwell, a fictional character in the 1960 novel *To Kill a Mockingbird*. So these, to me, are spot on. These, to me, are spot on. Now, these are not new news. We, I kind of learned about this. Quite a bit already because、uh, I researched,、uh, I studied the Ida B. Wells' work on lynching, 
right? Ida B. Wells is one smart woman. She is way before Rosa Parks. She is she was way she is way before the 1900 streetcar boycott. She personally filed a lawsuit against segregation and won five hundred dollars of the judgment, only to be reversed by the appeal court. Okay, when she studied the lynching, she have said over fifty percent of lynching is caused by an allegation by a white woman against a black man. And here comes the 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 the, the highest intelligence this this、uh, Ida Wells has. Here's her question to the public by her statistics she collected. She said, "How come during the Civil War?" When many many white men in in the South has to join the Confederate Army, and fought in the front line, there are not a lot of a、uh, lynching, or allegation of a sexual misconduct by a black man against a white woman. It's only after these white men returned from the Civil War, and the lynching gets started. She asked that question. That's a great question. That's a great question. So, so Karen really is not new, and Karen is just part of the product of the, I call it white privilege,、uh, a legal construct, and、uh, and so Karen is not the root cause. Karen is really the symptom of the whole racial injustice, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, uh, by the way,、uh, Stoopy is one of the calling. Community members, I brought up this、uh, Karen story on the day of International Day, March the eighth.、Uh, I forgot it's a Tuesday, and Stoopy is, in my opinion, is naive enough to admit that she herself has been a Karen once upon a time.、Uh, I was like, uh, 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 I think Stoopy, I think you are African American woman. I don't think、uh, Karen is meant for describe you. <laughs> I have not seen overly demanding. <laughs> African American woman in my entire life. I could be wrong. Bai probably can tell me more about it. But, but、uh, it's just my personal experience. No, I have, no, I have never come across a Karen who's,、uh, you know, that、uh, uh, that that is、uh, African American woman. That never happened. I'm sorry. So that is one thing I want to talk about. Second thing I want to talk about is the whitewashing after the incident. On August the third, twenty twenty-one, episode of the podcast, honestly with Barry Weiss, entitled "The Real Story of the Central Park Karen," described the incident and suggested that the original media reports were biased against Amy Cooper, the Karen. On the podcast, Amy claimed that Christian's action had made her feel threatened, saying, "I don't know that." As a woman alone in a park, that I had another option other than calling nine one one. She also said that she had received death threats and was doxed, causing her to feel suicidal and forcing her to leave the United States. Hey Heidi, go ahead. How、hey, are you? Hey Peter, how's it going? Good, good. Yes. Nice Sunday morning.、Um, yeah, I just wanted to say,、uh, as far as like what Stoopy said,、um, 
I I don't see it as necessarily a white thing. I know that's kind of your theme, judicial white privilege and such. But um, <clears throat> it does it does go both ways. And like I had an incident in um, in high school where where uh, I I had had a um, an encounter with a black guy, you know, like at a party. I made out with him, you know. Mm -hmm. We we got uh, intimate sort of. Mm -hmm. And then um, the next day in school, he spread all these nasty rumors about me, you know. And so I will never date a black man since then because of what he did. So, I mean, like, uh, black people and, and Asian people and, and all other kinds of people, like, there's no, there's no, uh, how can I put this? Um, <clears throat> they're not perfect people just because they have been historically oppressed. You know, there's a lot of shitty people, too. Of, of yes. all oh, I, oh, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with you at all. Go, go ahead, please, uh, please continue. I'm not right. disagreeing. No, so, so I was just going to say, and, and uh, I like Stoopy, you know, so um, I don't necessarily want to, uh, uh, how can I put this? I don't want to support her, her conclusion that she herself has been a Karen, um, but I, I have seen black women do that too, you know, where, where they're, um, they, <clears throat> they've taken a lot of shit in their lives, so I, I've never really held it against them, but um, uh, they absolutely can be Karens, I guess, that was the main thing I wanted to say. And I know I got a lot of background noise here, so I'm going to mute. Oh, you're fine. You're fine, Heidi. No, let me respond just a little bit, okay? First of all, I appreciate you sharing your personal experience, and uh, I think I've shared some of my experience at the Memphis, Tennessee, when, you know, two black uh, youth uh, dive under my truck, try to steal the carburetor, right? So am I continue to go to unsafe neighborhood, uh, to park my truck and sleep, uh, 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 uh sleep overnight over there? Probably not. Uh, it's, uh, it's, an, uh, the skin color has nothing to do with it. It's my personal safety, right? When you, had a, a intimate uh, inter encounter with a, a a person, regardless of that person's color. If this uh, man is a shitty piece of shit, and he on the next day uh, spread all kind of nasty things about you, uh, well, he is a lousy human being and deserve all the uh, animosity you you held against him, and uh, which you know he totally deserved. Uh, so I'm not the. Uh, uh, disputing that whatsoever. Uh, but I do want to show you is this, is that this is why I want to have a discussion like this. I, I'm not saying I'm right. You know, I, I hope all of you know I'm very give and take. I want to discuss, uh, 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 intellectually, uh, intelligently and constructively. So all I know is this, uh, there is uh, another saying in addition to Karen. There is another saying, it's a social phenomenon. It's called the missing white woman news. Meaning that if a white woman is missing, the, her picture is, is going to be all over the country, if not all over the world. If, uh, if there's a black woman missing, uh, who the hell cares? Uh, we, we are aware of that. So in this case, uh, once, uh, I want to always emphasize, when I talk about white privilege, I'm not talking about private to private interactions. I'm always talking about the government to a person's interactions. In this case, is this. When Peggy McIntosh, back in 1988, so far away, so long ago, saying, I feel I had a, a 
unearned privilege. That's her writing. That's her observation. A lot of people is already upset with her, but is she correct? Yes, I think she's correct. When I reach out to her, Professor McIntosh, I'm trying to propose to her is saying, "Look, I think you're correct, your observation, but you have not chased the root cause of your privilege. Your earned earned privilege is from a legal construct, a governmental arrangement." That the, you know, in a white majoritarian democracy, who got to make the law? It's the white majority. Who got to enforce the law? It's the white majority. Who got to administer the justice? It's the white majority. So there is a risk that the constitutional, uh, the racial minorities' constitutional rights can get easily infringed upon because of this arrangement. So once again, it is what I'm trying to stress is really the government to a person's interaction, not a private person to a private person's interaction. Uh, I will take you. Uh, I'll make Heidi. I'll make you a speaker. So uh, so Amanda can join. So I will give you another example. Hussein once called in. Uh, if I Hussein, I'm pretty sure it's you. Uh, Hussein had a bad boss, who is a Chinese woman. Uh, I think uh, she fired Hussein, if I'm not mistaken. So Hussein is saying, hey, how come, Peter, you're talking about uh, white privilege? What about the Chinese privilege? So I have to explain to Hussein is that I'm not talking about a private person, such as a private company, did something wrong to you. That is wrong by itself. What I care about is this. When you, Hussein, I don't know, assuming Hussein is an African-American man, if he filed a complaint with the government, equal opportunity, equal opportunity agencies, or you file a little uh, case with the court about racial discrimination against this Chinese supervisor, I care about what the government will say about your grievances. What I believe is that the government has to be absolutely even-handed when this kind of thing happens. So in other words, using Central Park incident as an example, I'm not saying who is nastier to whom between Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper. It's just it's hilarious why they have the same last name. It's a private to private interaction. What I do want to emphasize is that what happened after Amy Cooper, basically why Amy Cooper will call 911 and make and made up a story saying this man is trying to do physical harm to her. When in fact, she, she is approaching her saying, you have to put your dog on the leash. So go ahead, Heidi or Amanda. You guys can take turns, whichever you decide. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, I totally agree that the government does set the standard and it does do it through the courts. I Like your whole project, I totally acknowledge and appreciate for, you know, uh, the truth in it and uh, getting to the root of it. The only reason I called in was because I could see Stoopy being, uh, <laughs> being a character. And I hate to say that because I like, I like, uh, Stoopy. So that's I all I meant. I, I'm going to tease her. That's for sure. <laughs> because I, I know she's a kind, uh, human being. I can tell totally. And, uh, I, I like her. No, no doubt. She's uh, one of the very early supporters of this show. No doubt about it.
No doubt about it. No, but Heidi, trust me, I uh, totally appreciate your input also. But I want to explain, you know, my my perspective, I guess, my angle of things and all that. So, yeah, go ahead, Amanda. Good morning, Peter. Thank you for hosting another um, episode. Um, I was just going to make the observation as as more and more people are trying to um, in, in roles that are are that I'm listening to um, are, are pushing more about class than race. And when you said, as a, as a white person, let's just put that right out there in the front, who it grew up in California, middle class. My dad was a superintendent. My mom worked for the local public TV station. You know, there's, there's just something that that when you say white privilege, that makes me think class privilege, and I'm sure that's partially defensive, and I acknowledge that. But also, more important, the the white privilege you talk about is is primarily moneyed class interest, right? Would you agree with that? Uh, I'm not convinced on that, but I'll be happy to. Um, uh, get into more deliberation and elaboration on that. Uh, so, but okay. go ahead, continue. Well, I'll, tell you why, I'll tell you why I say that, mm -hmm. if I might. Oh. One, you don't have to be a judge to be appointed to be, a, I mean, you don't have to be a lawyer to, or even have gone to law school to be appointed as a judge, for one thing. But majority of them are lawyers, which means they had enough resources to go to law school. So that's one thing, making the yes. courts You're right. skew toward people who have educations, which yes. doesn't mean they're smart, but it does mean they have resources. Mm -hmm. Yes. People who run for election, the legislatures of each state and federally and city councils, I would say, I've never done the study, but I would almost guarantee probably... Well, let's say fair, at least 50% of them are homeowners, probably a higher level. So that now you've got landed people who have enough money. If you are in many states and a lot of cities, you don't, it's not actually, if you're on city council or an elected official, it's not really enough to live on. It's mm -hmm. kind of a part-time job. Mm -hmm. which means that you have to have enough time and resources to spend the time to do it. Mm -hmm. So most of the people making the laws in these legislatures and city councils also have money. And it's the moneyed people, not necessarily the white people, who are in these roles making the laws and then deciding if you broke it. So that's why I say it, it, it's slightly more of a class issue. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to engage further in that discussion because I'd like to hear yes. your take on it. Yes, uh, I, uh, I know, Amanda, you have great shows too, right? Uh, some, someday we should uh, do more in-depth deliberation. Uh, just as a quick response to what you have said is that I'm not in the disagreement, disagreement with you at all for the reasons this. If you uh, have listened to my uh, prior shows, I've said the issue. The issue I take on is not about the word white. The issue I put on is the privilege, because uh, uh, this is the first thing. Second is that 
I do observe is that this uh, privileged system we call the justice system is not working for white people either. I have always said among the MAGA people, a lot of them, tons of them are poor whites. They are fed up. They know that uh, this country has become a class society. And they, I think, in the agreement with you, Amanda, is that our politicians are in for the money and the money drive the politicians. Right. And, uh, and so, so, so from that regard, yeah, you can tell that I'm not in disagreement with you in that regard. The, the, uh, uh so this is one thing. The, the second is that I have, uh, more angles to talk about, uh, in the next sections, which I hope you will appreciate more because I'm going to broad, I'm going to bring this Karen to an international level. Okay. So just hold your thoughts on that. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, I'll be, Again, I'll be more than happy to uh, to delve into this topic more. But stay on uh, the on. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to make you a speaker. So. Okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I look forward to further conversation. Oh, I appreciate you. So, going back to because uh, uh, I have noted to myself, I want to start with uh, Peggy McIntosh, who started this discussion of white privilege. Who is a white woman, a privileged white woman, right? Second, I want to go to, before I go to Karen, I want to go to Rosa Parks again. You look at the law that are enforced upon Rosa Parks. Who made those laws? It's a white majority make that law. That law is clearly targeted towards African-Americans, right? Second, who enforced that law? To Rosa Parks, a white male bus driver by the name of James Blake. James Blake has said before his death in 1989, said that he is not intending to do anything bad to Rosa Parks. He was just doing his job. But is he really doing his job? As I have said in my past episode, there is a vacant seat provision in that Montgomery City bus code, saying that the police have the power to reassign seats only when there is a vacant seat available. Apparently, there's no vacant, there were no vacant seats available. So James Blake, despite his best effort to whitewash the episode, he is the lawbreaker. Lastly, as I said, these two judges, Rosa Parks, went through criminal courts in Montgomery, Alabama, for refusing to give up her seat. Both these judges, they are both men of literacy. Their job is to read the law. They have the money. They paid a lot of money to go to Harvard to read, to interpret laws. They should, they know, they knowingly know that vacancy provision in that Montgomery Bass Code is established in the 1900 streetcar boycott. They know the history. They know the law. They read the law. It's their duty to administer the justice. Did they do that? No. They administer the injustice against Rosa Parks. So that is the three question 
uh, three strikes that tells me it's a systemic. And that anyone with a street smart knows, including Karen knows, that how she can work the system. So what Karen did, Karen is can be considered a white privilege pra practitioner. She, she knows how the system works. That's why she did what she did. Now, is it possible Stoopy as a black woman can pull the same trick? Well, she can try. But th what's the odds for a, sp a police to respond to a black woman about a situation like that? I'm going to say significantly lower than from a, if a white woman is making that call. So that is what, so from saying with all this, we did not, we're not talking about how much money Karen has. We're not talking about how, uh, whether Karen is a CEO of a, 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 a hedge fund in New York or she is just a regular uh, neighborhood grandma. Uh, walking her dog. But I do believe race, you know, still plays a significant role. Class is a factor all by itself. Yes. So, but again, Amanda, I will look forward to have more di discussion on that. So what I uh, get at is now is the whitewashing after uh, this incident, because uh, uh, Amy Cooper, uh, showed up on a podcast. I wish she could show up on my podcast and uh, saying that I don't know as a woman alone in a park at that time, she had another option but to call 911. She's saying this, she's continued the same narrative that this black man for some reason, whatever, is a physical threat to her. This is a extremely believable narrative throughout the history of this country as far as justice system is concerned okay she even after the facts she will still say uh, try to say okay i just have that feeling that i'm being victimized you have to believe me as a victim and she had like i said going back to that moral and the political chart of the inhabited world the West are the civilized people, civilized government. The rest are savages, semi half civilized, barbaric. It's clearly labeled. Who would you believe? Savage people or civilized people? So that, that is what I'm trying to make. So it, it's a very similar routine. It will be whitewashing afterwards. It's just a big misunderstanding. I truly feel victimized by this black man. Now, I, you know, so, so I'm going to talk about something else later. So, so there's more come, more to come. Okay. So the, now I'm going to go Karen going global, international. So I, this is again, I copied from Wikimedia, uh, Wikipedia. This is from other researchers commentary on this uh, Karen situation. Kansas State University professor Heather Suzanne Woods, whose research interests include Mimi's, said a Karen's defining characteristics are a sense of entitlement, a willingness and desire to complain, and a self-centered approach to, in to interacting with others. According to Woods, 
A Karen demands the world exists according to her standards. Demands the world exists according to her standards. Does that sound like a Americans of the West foreign policy when it comes to Africa, Asia, Middle East? A Karen demands the world exists according to her standards with a little regard for others. And she is willing to risk or demean others to achieve her ends. That's, that's like, sounds like a colonialism? Imperialism? Rachel Charlene Lewis, writing for Bitch, B-I-T-C-H, I guess that's a magazine, agrees, saying, uh, Karen doesn't view others as individuals and instead moves through the world prepared to fight faceless conglomerates of lesser than people who won't give her what she wants and feels she deserves. I would say that's exactly what the colonizers do. That link back to what I have said, always said, the judicial white privilege is the amber of the dying colonialism in America. We still have that mentality. We are somehow are so exceptionally superior that we demand the world exists according to our standards. We demand other people to behave what we desire, regardless what the law says. We, you know, the law says, the rule says you have to put your dog on the leash. It's pretty simple. But no, no. These black men approaching her about her dog not on a leash pose a physical threat and she claims to be a victim during the time, during the encounter and afterwards. I call that typical whitewashing. Just like that James Blake. He will defend himself saying, I'm just doing a policeman's job. I have no, no ill will towards that Rosa Parks. <laughs> Guess what? Everybody knows you hate that lady, Rosa Parks. You have no de basic decency even to admit that some, 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 some 30, 40 years after the fact. And that's why the, one of the judge, a uh, judge, John B. Scott, according to his son, never talked about the Rosa Parks trial. Despite the fact that he is a man of literacy, according to Alabama Bar Association, this is a, this guy, John B. Scott, the judge presiding over Rosa Parks, is on their Hall of Famer. That is why washing the history. So in conclusion, I'm going to say this, a few things. One is that it's just like those uh, police shooting of unarmed citizens. We cannot rely on the police report. In the Central Park Karen's case, the video on the smartphone played a critical role in what the true facts are. It's just like that, uh, going back to that guy, uh, 
Qunong shaman. Again, I'm not a Qunong fan whatsoever, okay? But I just know this Qunong shaman has a long footage of him being accommodated by the capital policeman during this something called a riot. No, he did not have access to this exculpatory evidence and he got, you know, railroaded by the justice system. It's the same thing here. That video evidence shows what the real fact is. And that plays a critical role because I think without the smartphone, have these video cameras, everyone can be, uh, we, we, we call what's actually happening. I think the white privilege will be more rampant. The, the, the Karen will be totally out of control. Nowadays, everybody just pull out their phone and start recording, which is a good thing. And second is this. These are things you guys might not know because I have a contact with people who are going through litigations and all that. Uh, I have said uh, this before. In, uh, in California, I know this guy who wrote a book his book, uh, the title is called The Judicial War on Men. Okay, remember, the Supreme Court just make all the women's, especially pro-choice women's, their enemies. Now, this guy in California, he wrote a book. It's a, it's a, it's an electronic version called The Judicial War on Men. He shared the, his, the, a story with me. Uh, this is probably five years ago. He said, Peter, do you know in California, if a husband used the word bitch when in a spousal argument with his wife, that is considered a violent act. I said, no, I do not know that. I do not know that uh, using the word, I know I personally have very, never used the word, that word in my life. I find out to be strange, but he said that is the case. So, a woman can go to a court saying, my husband called me a bitch. The court will issue a restraining order against her husband in California. I said, okay, that's interesting. Now, do I believe that? I probably will because this guy is pretty smart. He had a PhD from University of California in San Diego and all that. And he's a former Marine. He's a police officer and yada, yada, yada. But I know a Delaware guy who told me, he was convicted by using these three words. He was convicted criminally for using these three words in an exchange of an email with uh, his, uh, I think, ex, his ex, ex-wife. He used the word false, pathetic self. These three words. The state of Delaware used these three words as evidence and prosecuted and convicted him of domestic violence. <laughs> so I said, okay, maybe there is a Karen somewhere else too. And it is supported by our justice system also. Will this kind of a case law make some people upset? I'm pretty sure. You know, my strategy is don't use these words, of course. But the, there will be, a, you know, merits to argue about whether these words constitute a violent act because going back to central park karen again if a black man approach you saying you should put the dog on the leash can this be perceived as a violent threat apparently karen said yes 
And the public said no. But how the court was going to decide, that will be interesting. Right? So, 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 so to that is pretty much what I want to talk about today. Again, I don't have any conclusions per se because I'm more elated for the fact that uh, back in 1988, this brave woman, Peggy McIntosh, brought up this concept of called white privilege. And decades later, we actually have a globally accepted Mimi called Karen to be the street evidence, the real life proof of white privilege. So I find that to be very, very, uh, what I say, uh, I feel very uh, encouraged uh, because of it. So, so that's pretty much what I want to say for today. And uh, any follow-up comments, um, Amanda and uh, Heidi? Hello, Stubby. Hi, Stubby. We were talking about you earlier. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pe Peter said that uh, you had referred to yourself or, or had said that you had incidents of acting like a Karen. And uh, I called in to uh, support that because I guess to me, I don't see it as necessarily being a white thing as much as I see it being a female thing. Um, but, uh, in saying that you conduct yourself very, uh, what's the word for it elegantly. And so I could, I could see, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't mean any insult. Let's just put it that way. Um, but I could see, uh, uh, you seeing yourself as being, um, uh, more, uh, 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 entitled, I guess, to, to good treatment. And, and as you should, as everyone should be entitled to uh, respectful and good treatment. But uh, the only thing that I would say uh, as far as the um, uh, subject matter of the day, especially uh, as it relates to this Amy Cooper, uh, the, only, the only way I can understand it, you know, her being, seeing herself as, as some kind of a victim and as uh, Christian as being some kind of a threat, is the uh, decades of uh, media manipulation making black people out to seem aggressive and um, threatening and uh, uh, I guess that's just it, aggressive and threatening. Uh, and like this whole, it makes me think back to the whole thing with uh, the what do you call it? The 14 words or whatever the, the white supremacist, uh, uh, motto is something about protecting, uh, the white race and, and like the end of it that they always cut off is, and to protect the white women, you know, like uh, they put us on this pedestal and like, we don't necessarily want it. I, I, I don't know. Like, I guess some women do, but I know I don't want to be put on a pedestal and used as an excuse to, um, treat any other racial group as some kind of a threat. Um, and, and I know that I've seen it uh, portrayed. I think it was, I want to say in Boardwalk Empire or something like that, where a, a woman wanted to have sex with a black man. And I, I want to say that her husband wanted it too. It, it was some kind of a cuck fantasy or something. And, or, or maybe she got caught by her husband and made it out to be, 
uh, that he was raping her. You know what I mean? And it was, it was horrible. It's just, it, it's that kind of thing that makes me ashamed to, you know, be a part of, of a white race that, that treats other people that way. So, uh, but yeah, my, my, uh, contribution is basically to say that the media is is something that really um puts this in everyone's mind and and i know that they deliberately seek uh unintelligent people uh, of other races to interview about uh you know any kind of an incident where it's it's um media uh you know they make jokes about it on like in living color and stuff like that how they, they look for the stupidest person to interview to make it seem like everybody in that group is that stupid. So that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, I appreciate the Heidi comments. I just want to add some follow-ups. I want to stress this again and again is that I'm doing this show not because I want to make white people feel uncomfortable whatsoever. I have always said, I think I have a special episode asking whether Trump is a victim of judicial white privilege. And I said, yes, he is. Uh, I, uh, I have always said is that the problem is really that this just system really is following a class, a class, a, 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 a structure of a privilege to hand out justice. Uh, it's just never worked to my liking for lack of better expression. And I'm always want to focus on that. What is the government is supposed to do or not to do when a grievances occurred through from out of a interracial dating through a employment engagement and all those stuff. I can care less about what a company has treated the uh, employee horribly. I care a great deal what, what, what happened when these employees come out and uh, to the court or to the labor uh, uh, relation board, uh, what the government do to these people. Um, right. So Peter, but, I don't, I don't know if you're breaking up for everybody, but you're breaking up for me. Uh, perfect on my end. He was pretty good. Yeah, I can hear him. Okay. Thank you, Amanda. Go ahead, though. Um, no, I, I just wanted to clarify the comment about the racist Asian uh, lady. No, I've never had a uh, Chinese boss, Peter. It was a Chinese foreign exchange student, like I said, who assumed for some reason that I was African-American, which there's nothing wrong with being African-American, but he was going on in this tirade about his issues with African-Americans. And I was like, I'm not an African-American, but you're lucky I'm also not Japanese. Because if <laughs> I, I was Japanese, I, I would have fucking left you in a burning house uh, in the fucking 40s for your racist bullshit that you're pulling right yeah. now. But no, it was not my boss. It was just some oh. prick that was a foreign exchange student that was living got here. It. Got it. My, my bad. My memory is not serving me well. <laughs> my, my apology. Thank you for correcting me. <laughs> Thank you for correcting No problem. Yeah, no problem. Do you, I did have a question about maybe I was going to ask Steepy, but maybe you know um, something about this. How serious is the storm in California? Or Amanda? Amanda lives there. Is it is it touching San Francisco? Because I have to reach out to one of my white sisters. I think Hillary is still down in San Francisco to make sure she's not in trouble. Or if she is in trouble, tell tell her parents. 
So I think in the Bay Area, I can say that um, San Francisco seems to be doing okay. okay. It's just a lot of rain, but it seems to be sporadic enough that it's able to run off and sink in enough that we're not having massive flooding, not in the Bay Area, but it, in other places like where I used to live in San Luis Obispo County, they had some really bad flooding a few days ago. Okay, so it's just rain, nothing too serious. Because I think she's still um she's finishing out her doctoral program up in, uh, in specifically San Francisco at some liberal arts college. I don't remember which one it was. She transferred not long ago, so I'm just trying to make sure that she's okay. Down she in is. I'd, part I'd of suggest area. you reach out to her anyway, just to say hi. How's it going on your program? But yeah, well, you know, Hillary. Okay. Hillary is our, our is our is like the really really socialist person in the family. She's, she's like the outcast. So I, I guess I'll reach out. Be like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, she's the super super weird communist hippie type chick. We Sweet. all can I have her number all... <laughs> so I can call and check on her? No, <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. Thanks, thanks, Amanda. I'll go check. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing you. You know. Yeah, I got you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jose. So, yeah, any other comments, uh, Stupi or Amanda? Um, Stupi, go ahead. Uh, no, I just wanted to say I'm sorry I missed the show, the daylight savings time. Uh, you know. Oh, no worry, no <laughs> worry. I appreciate your support. I know Stupi, you're the one of the um, um, uh, early supporters, earliest supporters of, of this show. I appreciate it. Yeah, I like the show you did on uh, what was it? Uh, citizenship or something? That was the first time I heard your show. It was really good. Because I appreciate Stupi. Go ahead. And I missed it. Can you just do like a three or four minutes synopsis? Sure, sure, sure. Sure. Um. So I was delighted when I realized that uh, Karen really is my best friend forever. Because uh, back in 2016, when I first started research on this uh, uh, topic, I reached out to Professor Peggy McIntosh. Peggy McIntosh is the among the first scholars who brought up this uh, topic of white privilege. When I reach out to her, I have, I, what I propose to her is this. I said, to me, Professor McIntosh, white privilege is not just a behavioral phenomenon. It's more of a, uh, legal construct or governmental, uh, privilege, uh, in, you know, in, in, in America. So long, so long story short is that now I realized, uh, Professor McIntosh is the first person who, among the first person who acknowledge white privilege as a white woman. Karen is the uh, universally accepted white privilege practitioner, meaning that she knows how the white privilege system works and she is capable of taking the full advantage of it. That, in a nutshell, is what I want to talk about today. Because I felt that I feel my theory is proven by the conduct of a uh, of a, of a, uh, of Karen. So that, in a nutshell, is what I want to talk about. And I also did something. I uh, one thing I did. I stretched this a little bit. Uh, my apology. I need to brought up this because uh, there is a international implication for this, because. Uh, 
I got a lot of uh, social commentaries just by looking at the Wikimedia, uh, Wikipedia about Karen, right? So this is a professor at the Kansas State University, Professor Heather Suzanne Woods. She said this, according to Woods, a Karen demands the world exists according to her standards with little regard for others. And she is willing to risk or demean others to achieve her ends. So that also sounds like a, a imperialistic policy, imperialistic foreign policy that the United States carries out all over the world. So, so that's why I think you all link up nicely. I have always said the judicial white privilege is the amber, the burning amber of a colonialism in America. And the colonialistic policy is still carried out domestically and internationally. So Karen is a perfect fresh and blood evidence on the street showing us that white privilege does exist. Can I ask, um, Peter, I don't know much about it. What happened with that situation, like when the cops showed up, uh, was, wasn't she like, was she charged with a crime? She, uh, the cops showed up that they both have left. I'm not the expert, actually. Uh, this is based on Wikipedia. When the cops actually show up, they both have left the scene. But later, the police have to charge you uh, press charge against her but then the charge was dropped you know what uh heidi thank you for commenting on this i literally missed a particular segment that i want to talk about thank you heidi again guys just question me okay argue with me because you you bring up uh, you know i i take criticism fine you know you're not you're not upsetting me whatsoever okay so after the Karen's uh, incident on Central Park, there's some repercussion, right? So first of all, she was uh, charged, but the, the charge was later dropped. Uh, in, 19, in 2018, legislation was first proposed in New York State Assembly uh, by a Hispanic Assemblyman, Felix W. Ortiz, that would consider falsely reporting criminal incidents against protected groups of people, including race, gender, and religion, to be a hate crime. So, in other words, back in 2018, someone already proposed in New York State Assembly that reporting falsely of a crime committed by a member of a protected group by race, gender, and religion will be considered a hate crime. So uh, this bill was not uh, moving forward, but until this uh, Central Park Karen showed up, this bill was reintroduced in the assembly by Ortiz with a full co-sponsor in the New York State Senate. And uh, in the wake of Central Park incident, and it was subsequently supported by Governor Andrew Cuomo, and it was signed into the law in June 2020. My, I have comments on this. I don't think it does any good. It confuses the shit out of everybody. Because uh, I always said this is uh, three tiers of white privilege. That's why I, I said the other day in Dickie's room, the racism in America is very, very unique and special. It's very, very 
deep rooted, put it that way. So in a legal term, I call this three tiers of white privilege. You have the white majority to make the law first. Even if you make the law, the enforcement of the law is at the discretion of the prosecutor's office. Right? So, for example, if a woman driving a big SUV hit a Chinese woman, old Chinese woman in California, she stopped at the driver, a woman, step out of the, her SUV, look at the victim, and get back to her SUV and drove away. And later, that victim died. There's a law saying this must be prosecuted. But the prosecutor in California say, we are not going to prosecute that driver. And that driver happened to be a white woman. And that that person, pedestrian, happened to be a Chinese, old Chinese lady. Is that justice? You know, is this just injustice because the law is not made? No, it's because the law is also enforced at the discretion of a white majority. So this is the second tier. And the third tier is the judicial white privilege, the highest tier, the gatekeeper of all white privileges, right? So, you know, so so this is why I want to say that even though the New York State, because of this Central Park Karen, passed a law saying, if you make a false police report about a crime committed by a member of the protected group, we will consider you committing a hate crime. Is that a good law? On the paper, yes. But guess what? As my Rosa Parks episode already said, <laughs> The law is on the book, but how it was enforced and how it was administered is a completely different story. Right. So, so thank you again, uh, Heidi, for, for reminding me because I literally forgot about talking about this. Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, that's a great illustration of the difference between systemic and endemic. The law on the book is the systemic. But how it's enforced depends on the individual human people and their individual biases, right? Exactly. That's, you got that's mm -hmm. the endemic that would change if you swapped the people, but the systemic would remain. There's no point in like dredging up those words unless you're going to parse those two. But like, uh, if in which you and that is how you parse them. If you didn't learn language on social media, you know, like before that, that that's. The difference, the only reason you, you do these things is in oscillation. You learn light and dark at the same time. You learn light and heavy at the same time. You learn hot and cold at the same time. You learn systemic and endemic at the same time, unless it's just a buzzword to you. But, like, this is the most annoying part because the solutions to one are not the solutions to the other. Exactly. Exactly. That's why my show is just about, mostly about judicial white privilege, meaning that when the case, when the controversy, when the grievances reach to the people with the highest intelligence and supposedly had the highest intellect and the highest morality, how the courts decide. When the highest court decided so wrong, such as the Dobbs decision, such as so many decisions in the history, I was like, no, no, the court is the place where the actual racial oppression got started. Right. Like in my, in my, uh, is that past episode? I said, I learned this uh, very, very recently by just by doing research on this episode. Uh, July will appreciate this. 
I did not know this. This Harvard law professor, assistant law professor, in 1989, wrote this、uh, law journal article that I'm not aware of until recently. The title is called "The Legal History of the Montgomery Bus Boycott," where he commented on this、uh, case called the Brown versus Board of Education. Remember this in mainstream media and among all the bar association, all the lawyers and judges you ever talk to. They're going to use the Brown v. Board of Education as like the the shining light, the beacon of how great the court is. It's not that great because this Harvard law professor, a certain law professor, said it very well. In the decision of a wrong Brown v. Board of Education, the court literally wrote down this: in public education, the separate but equal doctrine cannot be. Good, you know, in a sense. So the this law professor analyzed as this: the courts in Brown versus Board of Education actually leave rooms for other segregation policies in other areas, such as restaurant, such as swimming pools, such as you know other places. The court is very deliberate when it says in public education. Meaning, their decision in Brown v. Board of Education supposedly reversed the Plassey versus Ferguson is only applicable for public schools. Isn't that very, very evil? Imam Bolin, it is. I'll tell you why. Because as soon as the Plassey versus Ferguson is handed down by the Supreme Court, segregation is does not limit to the street cars. Right, because the Plassey versus Ferguson is arise out of a streetcar segregation. Segregation after Plassey versus Ferguson apply almost universally on hotels, on restaurants. Remember the term "sun downtown," meaning the the township will say when the sun setting, the blacks have to leave the town. These are all segregation policies after one decision by the U.S. Supreme Court. But guess what? But basically, the Supreme Court is capable of destructing your liberty and freedom in one case. But when the Supreme Court tries to correct its own mistake, it's going to do one piece at a, a time. That's your justice. That's your justice. So remember, Brown v. Board of Education is allowed to be. Like the, the most just, the most moral decision ever made by the U.S. Supreme Court. Actually, it's not. Anything else, guys? That's my, Go ahead. That's part of my point. You know, with、uh, politics being downstream from culture, it's kind of the media that sets the standard for culture. So, you know, like these political、um, uh, rulings that are made. Are are done so because the general population feels that way, I guess,、uh, and that's not to say that it's you know、uh, correct or just in any way. And the whole idea of of a justice system is to be able to review it、uh, objectively and you know with without emotion. So,、um, but I was going to ask too,、uh, you know, like that whole thing with Amy 
and uh, Amy Cooper and, and Christian. Huh? Yeah. And then the, it's weird because while, while you were talking, I was thinking about that thing with barbecue Becky and, you know, like the, it's kind of an opposite situation where, um, the people that uh, this Becky barbecue Becky called the police on, they technically weren't following the, the rules in the barbecue, you know, like using the, I, I can't remember what the situation was, something like a designated area mm-hmm. to barbecue. And then, but with this Amy, she was the one that was, she wasn't following the rules with, you know, not having her dog on a leash. So mm-hmm. I was wondering if you wanted to talk about that in any way, like the. Yes, um, yes. I, I will. Yes. I will. I mean, great, great again, Heidi. Great, uh, great, uh, question. Uh, before I move forward, going back to what Heidi said about the media, remember media, the mainstream media is a part of the white privilege system. Okay. Uh, uh, Stoopy and Jonathan did not hear this when I started this show today because I learned recently that the fake news is already talked about by no other than Malcolm X way before Donald Trump. So I'm going to repeat what Malcolm X said back then. Quote, the media's the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent. And that's power. Because they control the minds of the masses. The press is so powerful in its image-making role, it can make the criminal look like he's the victim and make the victim look like he's the criminal. This is the press, an irresponsible press. That's what Malcolm X said way back. You know, this is just incredible. Just remember this. Karen is also a social media event. If if we still don't have a cell phones, if we are still on those old, you know, wired phones and all that, we will not never know what actually happened between Amy Cooper and the Christian Cooper, right? We will never know what happened to this guy, uh, George Floyd, right? Because we can only rely on the police report. You know, in Amy Cooper and Christian Cooper's case, it will be, she said, he said, well, she's a white woman, he's a black man, who is going to believe? Who is more believable? Go back to your culture. Go back to your moral uh, compass. Well, you have to believe the white woman. Right. So, 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 so technology really made a great difference here. So going back to what Heidi said, I'm aware of that barbecue incident calling a cop. Although I did not know the exact detail of what happened, but my overall accusation or observation is this. Generally speaking, when a law is being made, by the white majoritarian lawmakers, it's you, especially when it's for specifically talk, uh, for some group of people, it's not a good thing. You know, basically the Montgomery bus law. Why people want to make a law like that? Because they have a, a agenda. They want to do something. This is the first tier of the white privilege to make a law to screw some people. Like the Texas right now is uh, uh, making a law to prohibit any Chinese to buy land in Texas. That's actually what's going on today. Why they have all this free time to talk about Chinese and prohibit them to buy land while they have a agenda. So this is the first tier. 
Now let's go to second tier. We have a lot of laws in this country, a lot of criminal laws, criminal laws, and that's why our uh, mass incarceration is doing so well in this country because we have a lot of criminal laws, and we are not the safest place. Ironically, right? We all know this common knowledge. Whatever law it is, by being DUI, by being reckless driving, by being、uh, dealing with drugs, every time a law enforcement thing happen, usually who will suffer as a group, as a class? Racial minorities. Right, for the longest time, I don't understand why there is a so-called anti-snitch practice among African American communities. I was naive back then. I was like, "Boy, this murder happened right in front of your house. How come you don't want to talk to the police about what you see?" I understand now why, because in any enforcement, law enforcement activities, when it's conducted by a white Majoritarian police force. Black people would never feel comfortable that these law enforcement、uh, are for justice. They are here maybe try to mess up with their personal lives. So, so I don't know whether I answer your question now. Is that basically Heidi? What I'm trying to say is this: there could be valid laws to be enforced upon, but how it was enforced? At what kind of discretion? Whether those discretion are justified or not, whether those discretions is at the expense of a particular racial group, that is my interest. And I'm pretty sure, you know, in the second tier of the white privilege, the law enforcement is, generally speaking, conducted in a racially discriminatory fashion. You know, I'll give you example. Hunter Biden. No FBI searched my house for something that I did, but is that is not a crime. But for Hunter Biden, how long Hunter Biden is on this、uh, tax offense crimes now? How long by Hunter Biden is on this、uh, cocaine possession thing now? How long Hunter Biden is on this、uh, lying on the firearm application? Now, five years, over five years. You really think the law will be enforced on the son of the sitting president right now? I don't think so.、Uh, Go ahead.、Sylvie. Yeah, I wanted to add to this、uh, barbecue Betty thing. Whatever, can't remember her name.、Um, but yeah, that there was a there was sort of a, a group of these cases that came up in Oakland.、Um, that was in Oakland, California, where Amanda and I live, and it was. Really clear that the I mean the city was being gentrified、uh, had been getting gentrified for a long time and there was I think there was there was a group of white people who were they were aware that like the city is kind of known as a black city even though it's also you know very Chinese or historically it was also very Chinese and Vietnamese and everything else but、um, it was kind of thought of as a black city but. As the white people were moving in, because they were getting displaced from San Francisco, which is you know more and more expensive, you know, and Oakland is cheaper. They came and they they would, like they kind of would disregard the culture of the city. Like, 
for me, it's like when I lived, let's say, in the Mexican neighborhood in San Francisco, I was very, very okay with hearing salsa music because that's part of the appeal of that neighborhood. So, like, I wouldn't have thought to complain about salsa music. But I noticed that, you know, when I lived in that neighborhood, the white neighbors would, would be yelling out their windows and calling the police and stuff because of uh, someone practicing salsa music downstairs. But it's like, why did you move to a Mexican neighborhood if you weren't, you know, or Latino, I should say a Latino neighborhood, uh, if you weren't willing to hear salsa music at 10 p.m., you know? Um, and what happened in Oakland was that, yeah, people started doing the same thing where they're like, oh, people are playing music in the parks. So then they made it illegal to play any kind of music in the parks, including just if you, you know, bring an instrument and are, are playing it quietly by yourself in the park. Um, and this uh, this lady, like, it's it's not just like one incident. It was part of a sort of push to, like, make black people feel like this is not your city anymore. You can't do your things anymore because this is like we have different sensibilities, let's say white people have different sensibilities about noise and about whatever. And so one, one incident, uh, one case was a church. There was a black church in West Oakland that uh, started, started getting complaints about their singing, about their music. And everybody knows black churches, they're known for their singing. It's like the, the best thing, right? Like it's the, that's why they're sort of the best churches. Um, and, Whoever moved into that neighborhood, West Oakland, which was a very, very black neighborhood and had been kind of considered a, you know, quote, no go zone by by uh, people before that, by white people before that. Um, it was kind of, you know, the, the roughest because perceived as the roughest Oakland neighborhood. Um, whoever moved there, I don't know. I don't know who made the complaint exactly or how many people. But just the fact that the city backed up the people who moved in and started saying they're going to they started threatening the church with five hundred dollars a day fine for for the music. And it was this clear uh, message to the people, to the black people of Oakland, that basically we're not on your side. We're going to side with the new people coming in because we want this city to change. We want, you know, we want this turnover to happen and we're not going to we're not going to support the way things have always been. Um which to me is like, why would you move next to a black church if you don't want to hear music on a Sunday? You know, it was a very, it was, what I'm saying is it was a, it was a, you have to zoom out a bit from the barbecue situation and just know like the atmosphere in the city was going very much this direction. Go ahead, Heidi. I was going to say, oh, I hear that. Uh, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in northern Wisconsin, and we would have city people come move in and complain about the scent of nature, <laughs> the manure that, uh, you know, uh, the farmers use for fertilizer on their field. So it, it, it's not just a, um, a racial thing either. But, yeah, I, when I lived in Fontana, California, I had a similar situation where I um, lived close uh, nearby uh, a family who had uh, uh, a large family, uh, extended family, and they would have parties all the time with the live uh, bands and, you know, they were Mexican. And, and I, I wanted to come, I went over to complain about it to them to please, you know, just to turn it down, you know, we're trying to sleep or whatever. And they invited me in and gave me a beer and gave me a bunch of food. And like, I'm like, you know what, I don't need to complain. <laughs> They were so nice. It was so cool. It was an uh, awesome experience. <clears throat> but, yeah, the the only point I was making was that technically, uh, you know, with uh, Amy Cooper, she was the one that was breaking the rules with not having her dog on the leash, and, and technically Barbecue Becky was enforcing the rules. Uh, but, yeah, that I think it was ridiculous anyway. Um, as long as people are safe barbecuing wherever they want, I don't see it, 
you know, I, I can see it being used as a total, uh, as a gentrification tool. I, I totally, I can see that. Now, if Peggy is uh, seeing that someone is barbecuing in a, a spot not designated for barbecuing and she complain about it, I think she has all the rights to do that. I do not see that as a problem. Well, now, will that uh, uh, create animosity? Yes, it would. Uh, that's just, you know, part of life. Uh, I uh, What I'm trying to say is that we are going to have private to private wrongs for the rest of as long as this is earth exists i mean i'm very sure in any country there will be a private to private wrongs did to each other what i'm hoping for is that every time when there's a controversy arise from these uh, private to private misgivings the government has to be even-handed because we are a multiracial, multicultural, multi-valued society. And uh, we just cannot, you know, be so uh, so rigid uh, and uh, it's either my way or, or, or highway kind, kind of thing, right? So, so th this is what I'm try trying to get at because a judge is supposed to be, has the highest intellect, read the most, interpret the best, and very even-handed. And uh, and uh, unfortunately, it's that's not the case. And uh, it's just, you know, I just think, uh, I'm trying to think how, because the way I look at this, with the Tucker Carlson dumping all these January 6th videotapes, with a lot of, I know a lot of convicted people, now they're coming out, say they want to file an appeal to vacate their convictions. I'm pretty sure. It, this just continue to create this uh, public uh, impression that we do not have a functioning justice system at all. It's all a mess. It's a complete mess. And uh, and uh, I will do an episode about this uh, uh, recent published reports. Uh, uh, I think uh, Richard Wolf, this uh, economics professor, he introduced this. Uh, in one of his uh, YouTube channel, and uh, I download a copy. I'm going to go over that. It's the, there's a Homeland Security published a report about all the mass shootings between 2016 and 2020, and in it, it has a lot of uh, profiles of these mass shooters. I kind of want to do an episode on that, just showing once again is that when the justice system doesn't work, you're going to end up with this kind of gun violence. And uh, and so that's what, what 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 I'm trying to you know stop those things. Yes, thank you, July, for for attending. Appreciate it. Hey, Amanda, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to um, again thank you, and I appreciate the work you're doing to point out the the white privilege. And I just again. I'm probably coming from a place of defensiveness, but as somebody who was an elected official who did enact laws that other people have to follow and who has virtually no control over any of the laws that were already in place and any of the laws now that, that apply to me, any of the laws that apply to me as an elected official, all enacted by people probably who own property and have resources 
and this is more of a class thing. Yes, it's a white class thing. I'm not saying it's not white, but it is a class thing. And now there's starting to be, quote unquote, representation in that ruling parasite class. I read somewhere somebody thought elite was not the right word, that parasite would be a better word for that class. But mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, I just I just want to I'm interested in having that conversation, too, because those of us who are white, who don't generally get the privilege that's afforded to even more classy whites, I'd just say. I'm interested in that conversation because yes. I don't want to feel defensive about it because I know there's a lot of bullshit that's happened and I'm not trying to avoid blame either. I'm just trying to get to a place where we can all say that the enemy is not about your race. It's about the resources you're able to have access to because of the laws that are in place. I second oh, yeah. that. Go ahead. Yeah, you are not off base at all, Amanda uh, Heidi. Uh, I think I was on Jenny. Jenny was uh, her in her room. I saw I called and she's talking about uh, this uh, Silicon Valley Bank in California situation. Are you aware of that, Amanda? Yeah, I kind of read about it. I don't know much about it okay. yet. Okay. So Jenny, being a, a diehard Trump supporter, she, she brought in what Steve Bannon is uh, predicting what's going to happen. Talking about, you know, uh, it, it's, a, it's a question of class. Steve Bannon believes that all these uh, lobbyists for this bank is going to show up on the Capitol Hill. People like Rokana <laughs> and co- corporate Democrats, they are going to uh, try to come up with a bailout plan for this uh, bank. Uh, because uh, they are going to say this bank uh, their customers are mostly in the high tech industry. And, uh, this particular financial fiasco is going to send those high tech companies to China. Therefore, the U.S. government has an obligation to bail them out. <laughs> and, uh, Steve Bannon says that they will be bailed out before the residents in the East Palestine get any justifiable compensation for their ordeal. I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. This is what I always said. The, the white privilege is bad for white people too. I've I always said that. It's, I have said before, I mean, I think I was in Dickie's room uh, the other day, uh, which was ended very abruptly. I've said, these opiate overdose deaths is partially attributable to the how the drug policy is enforced throughout the country because if you are a black person, possession, consumption of any drugs will easily land you in jail. Therefore, you will lose access to those drugs. While if you're white, especially if you're a privileged white, wealthy ones, you have, you, the law enforcement will never knock on your door and you will feel more and more needs of getting more and more drugs. Therefore, you will likely end up of a drug overdose. And that's proven too. As I said, this is a former neighbor of mine who is an African-American woman, graduated from Harvard University with a PhD in biostatistics. Apparently, she's way better in math than I am. She showed me this Pennsylvania uh, opiate crisis report. You know, the, the ratio 
makeup of the people who dead died from overdose is a 16 whites versus one black. I said, there you go. That's the proof. Because whites will be, have more easy access on quantity, variety of drugs and they can get away from it. Therefore, they can overdose on death. The blacks cannot because they likely already be in jail in the first offense. Right. So going back to this is that, yeah, class is also is that because now the corporate class, Democrat corporate class and the Republican will all converge on Capitol Hill, say we must bail out this bank. There's so many high tech companies will be shipped to China and it's a national security. They always come out with very creative excuses. Go ahead, Stubi. I was going to say, I'd also heard that the, the opioid crisis was also uh, the imbalance in it was also partially due to having medical coverage like insurance because a lot of the people got started on the opioid addiction from a prescription for painkillers which you'd get from a doctor but if you don't have medical you know if you don't have health care bingo uh, yeah so it's kind of a weird privilege you know problem of privilege too yeah we know that we know that for a fact that that's admitted by judges in in, in courts saying that uh that uh that uh, uh, you know the enforcement of a drug laws are very uneven, which is true. You know we, we saw it in, in Hunter Biden as an example, right? So, can I ask you a, a kind of un- totally unrelated question? But since you were talking about lawlessness, uh, I heard last night that the the Chinese foreign minister uh, or Ministry of Foreign Affairs they they published a letter on their website saying basically the U.S. is like a lawless criminal country and that they're not really fit to make deals with and that there's no kind of application of the law or, you know, they don't follow the law. Did you hear about this? I looked for it on I, the website. I did, not, I did not know about that letter uh, because, uh, Stubi, as you know, uh, I have said before, I am seriously considering doing like a, a on, ad hoc on-demand show called the uh, Geopolitics equals ethnopolitics because uh, I'll just give you an example. Again, you can tell I'm a big admirer of Malcolm X because, uh, like I said, his talk, his comments about the fake uh, mainstream media, it just blows me my mind. I was like, he's way before Donald Trump says those words. The, 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 the piece, uh, the, agreement to restore diplomatic relationship between Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia is a huge deal. Because as I always said, the colonizer strategies always divide and conquer, right? You look at Africa's countries, you know, they are with, whose borders are entirely drawn by the Europeans. They are going to have a co- potential of conflicts down the road. And we know what happened to the Middle East. And uh, so the fact that, that these two major Arab countries get together is a tremendous uh, news because it means, again, that the formerly colonized country are getting together, are getting closer to each other, and they see their path to the future can be entirely in their own hands. That's just a great news. Uh, 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 as far as I'm concerned, it's good for world peace as well. It also put Israel in a very interesting spot. Cause I always ask this question, cause I, I it's never answered. 
is a Jewish person a white person or not? Because if a Jewish consider, because I know Jews are involved in the slavery. I know Chinese are not. You know, uh, again, the other day, Dickie uh, insists that uh, somehow racism is the same across all countries like China and the U.S. I said, no, it's not. Because the Chinese uh, send the uh, emperor, send a uh, mass uh, number of ships to Africa for the purpose of collecting taxes from the Chinese merchants doing business in Africa. He never came across their mind and say, let's get some slaves out of here. Let's cheat them with some, sh you know, gold with some shit that we have. No, I mean, it's different, completely different. So going back is this, that uh, it's always a Malcolm X's teaching that if you're colonized, you need to unite with each other. And, uh, you know, if you fight with each other, that's only good news for the colonizer. So I think that's a very positive news. Now, uh, is the Chinese government getting more aggressive against the American government? Uh, I see that. Uh, I would not advise that, but, you know, that's their call, not my call. You know, I'm not a big fan of any government. Yeah, I think, so. the, I think the point they were making was that basically all these agreements that they sign with countries are... are it's up. It's like the selective enforcement, or you know, the, the, they don't really intend to follow them. You know, the same way we have the laws here, but then it's a, uh, it's up to the discretion of the judge or the per prosecutor. You know what happens, despite the the thing being signed into law. American so exceptionalism. Right? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You can you can interpret the word exceptionalism in a various way, right? You can say it's exceptionally moral, exceptionally powerful, but another way is that I'm always the exception of the law. So I'm the one who don't have to follow the law, right? Yeah, and I just, okay, two things. Sorry, I'm sorry, Brady. I know you want to say something, um, but I had to clarify earlier when you were talking about my story of, of, of being a Karen, it was actually that I was worried. I found myself getting uh, worried about being perceived as a Karen when I, uh, when something was happening that, was like mistreatment and I was trying to advocate for myself I found myself kind of like hesitating to say something because I, it, when it was a you know like a service you know a service person and I'm the customer and it, it looks like there's a power dynamic right they're yeah. supposed to serve me and if they're not doing it uh I I, I had this kind of like I don't want to be that person that's you know saying like hey this isn't what I ordered or Whatever, because this Karen thing was all over the social media, yeah, and he just kind of, I think it kind of got so loosely used um, at some point. It was like a lot of times it was just like a woman complaining to to a cashier or something, or and it was kind of not clear that uh, the boundaries of the definition were not clear, not just racially. I, I took it, yes, racially, but also as a class thing, right? If you're yelling mm -hmm. at someone who's serving you, there's a bit of a Karen potential <laughs> Karen there. I, so even if you're, even if you're black and the cashier's white, but you know, the customer's always right in America. So it's kind of this uh, the uncomfortable power dynamic. So that's when I was hesitating, but I was never actually called a Karen or accused of being a Karen. I was preemptively uh, trying not to. So two, two, two things to be, first of all, when I heard you saying that, uh, last time, I already know you're just a super nice human being. Okay. That's all I know. Uh, I immediately conclude that second is this. I appreciate you actually bringing it up because I double checked after you told me those. Cause I was like, is Karen really a white privilege thing? Cause somehow 
when when you told me this, I have a second doubt about myself. So again, these are not my definitions. These are the definition by Wikipedia, right? It's a social media thing who defined Karen as this character. So I just copied it over. They said it's a white privilege thing. They said, okay, cool. Then that just proves my, my, uh, my, uh, my theory, because uh, I know you're a super nice human being, just like when I, oh, every time I meet a Chinese person who came from China recently, I told them, first thing you not don't not do in America is this. Don't ever say these three words. It's my fault. It's not the culture in America to say these three words. It's my fault. I know it's considered to be a virtual in China. To when something happened, bad happened, you try to take responsibility. Say it's my fault. But here you'd never say that because you say that people would take advantage of you. <laughs> so, 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 so that I hope I settled that. Uh, go ahead, Brady. I know you you want to say something. Oh God, that that whole culture in America needs to change. We need to institute the culture of my bad. It's not hard to say my bad, guys. Or oh, I was wrong. Like if we could just get over that hump we would have water slides on the moon already. And I just wanted to answer your question about um, are Jewish people white? And it just depends on the Jewish person. I mean, there's black Jewish people, there's white Jewish people. It depends on the color of their skin. Uh, you know, whiteness is a uh, spectrum. And whether you're a light-skinned Asian, dark-skinned Asian, there's usually some kind of discrimination everywhere you go on the planet in regards to skin tone and it's it's yeah. really yes so uh, you're on and off brady yeah i think i got what you said yes uh there is another uh explanation of white privilege called the white skin privilege right so i think uh, uh brady i mentioned this i i have prepared to answer a very difficult question one day someone will ask me uh, someone may say, Hey, Peter, uh, how can you explain white privilege when so many Asian women go to those uh, salons or labs to whiten their skin? How can you explain Michael Jackson bleached his face? Right? I actually have an answer for that, <laughs> and uh, but I'm not going to talk about it today. Going back to the Middle East situation is that I'm just want to find out because remember, Katie Halper. Halper was recently accused of being anti-Semitic, right? To me, it's this. If Jews should be considered white people, then what's wrong with saying something critical of a white government, such as Israel? Now, I'm not an expert, and I want to, I don't want to pretend to be, but I do know this. From what I heard is this. They said that this uh, agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran, the most negatively impacted the country uh, the power, Western power is Israel, uh, for a lot of reasons. And, uh, is, uh, Israeli government has uh, their initial response is, uh, they are blaming the previous prime minister, uh, for missing the opportunity to make a deal with the Saudi Arabia. And I know Middle East is very, very complicated. And, uh, it's as complicated as those uh, borders in the African countries. I blame it all on the, Western power, you know, I, I do, because uh, you know, just like a uh, British divided the uh, British Raj into India and the Pakistan, right? And then they be, they become rivals. They they fight each other. They kill each other at the pleasure of the British colonizers. So so any time when the colored nation, formerly colonized nation, get together, get along, 
I applaud those. You know, I like peace way better than war. Um, yeah, when it comes down to the thing that keeps uh, going through my mind is as far as being a class issue, um, second class citizens in any country, no matter what their skin color, are people who the binds doesn't serve. And the first-class people, the first-class citizens, are the ones who the law serves but doesn't bind. So that's kind of what it comes down to. Is and I gotta, you know, agree with with Amanda again on this. Is it's a absolutely a class issue. And in America, it, it absolutely was uh, done along racial lines. And they want us fighting each other so that we don't notice that they're picking our pocket and fucking us up the ass, you know? So as long as we're fighting each other, we're not fighting them. As exactly. Our- exactly. Totally agree. The, uh, uh, the, uh, so again, I look forward to, uh, take a deeper dive into this topic on a later day uh, with Amanda uh, for sure. And uh, uh, I appreciate that opportunity. Uh, I do want to give you an example, which is, uh, I think is very hilarious. Okay. Hey, hey, Peter. Go ahead. Uh, uh, just yes. re- really quick. Cause, cause I don't want to forget again. The uh, Amy Cooper also, I think lost her job and had her dog taken away from her after that event happened. I just wanted to add that. Yeah, it was said that the dog was uh, because uh, taken away from her because she was seen on the video, like uh, not treating the dog nicely. But the dog, I'm told, is returned back to her afterwards, and she she said she's being threatened and all that. Yeah, I mean everything she said is the after the facts. No, right. I'm of of course not uh, uh, condoning any uh, threatening behavior. Right? You know, basically, yeah. Christian Cooper approach her say hey bitch you better put your dog on a leash or i'll kill you of course amy cooper can call the police to report a crime you know what i'm saying because that's a threat right whatever she's not doing that she does not deserve that kind of a threat right but the fact is it's not case so whatever happened after the words when the public got you know upset with her and threatening her of course you know you know she is wrongfully uh why do you say, uh, roughly, uh, oh, I don't know what was the right word. Uh, basically, she, she, she was wrongfully treated afterwards. No, no, I'm not uh, disputing that. No. So, so class, I won't go into debate because when you talk about class, is this Amanda, Heidi, you, uh, I, myself, uh, Brady, Stuby, we all came about talk about class, uh, freely, right? The funny thing about the judge is this. I'll give you a story, okay? I went to Rosa Parks Museum. There is a presentation for the school children, so I watched them. So the the this presentation says segregation is a both a law both in the South and the North. The first thing, and they say segregation is established by Plassey versus Ferguson, with the one judge dissenting. That the name of the judge is John Harlan, H A R L A N. There's a funny story about him because uh, he in his family has uh, black relatives. So he is a sympathetic figure on the bench towards black people back then. So in his dissenting opinion, he said, this country 
is supposed to be a classless country. In other words, our constitution does not allow any class of citizens being race or otherwise. So therefore, he, you know, he said a lot of things. He said, therefore, he dissent with the majority saying, Plassey versus Ferguson, you know, the segregation is wrong. So this is introduced in that presentation where the judge did talk about class. What is hilarious is this. In the same opinion, there's the same judge by the name of John Harlan talks about Chinese. He said the Chinese race is so foreign to this land. They should never be allowed the citizens of this country. It's in the same document. <laughs> he said so. So whatever these judges talks about philosophically, culturally, politically, I focus on what they actually wrote down themselves. These are the same judge. These, he's being called the, the great dissenter in Plassey versus Ferguson. But in fact, he is also a racist. He just does not want to, he, he still want a class system, except he believed white and black should be in the same class, while Chinese should belong to a foreign class. So these are all the stories that the mainstream media never wants to tell you. <laughs> they just say, oh, these judges are greatest thing ever. No, they're not. Just happen to be not. So, Wow, we're really going long today, but I truly appreciate it. Uh, Jonathan, anything else you want to add? Um, I have I have one more uh, thing. I put it in the comments earlier when I first joined the show, but when you were talking about fake news, I was remembering the story that um, Howard Zinn was talking about in, um, what's that book, People's, People's History of the United States. He was saying... Uh, when the U.S. wanted to do the Spanish-American War, uh, I forget what, is that the 1890s or something? They, uh, the journalists were really, really complicit in like drumming up, you know, sentiment amongst the people, the American people to go to war with uh, Cuba. And, uh, and they made up this story um, of a woman basically being like strip searched by male, uh, male uh, ship workers on a, on a ship somewhere in the, between the U.S. and Cuba. And it was all done, you know, it was like basically, oh, you know, our women are being, or, the, or these people are treating women like this and that, you know, and I was thinking about the, and I think, I think Zinn was calling it yellow journalism. I don't know why yeah. yellow, but uh, that whole, that whole uh, thing of uh, what's happening now pretty openly, which is the, the media just drumming up, you know, making up stories and drumming up people's uh, sentiments to go, to go to war. Um, but it was, uh, it was interesting. I thought the, the, the use, there's this use of women's bodies like to politicize you know when you want when you really want people to react to something they always kind of throw in this like women's bodies thing like i'm noticing you know this stuff in iran they're using oh the girls are being um you know the girls are being oppressed and made to wear this and whatever and back uh, back when they invaded uh uh iraq as well um they were or, and afghanistan especially they were saying oh they're not letting the girls go to school and I think uh, Boko Haram in Nigeria too. Like, oh, they've kidnapped our girls. We need to send U.S. troops. And they said our girls, even though they were Nigerian girls. But you know, it was all it was. It's this weird use of of women, women like exactly. protecting women as a as a yeah, exactly, just, exactly. 
Yes, the uh, like a rose uh, Rosewood massacre in Florida is also triggered by like a, a allegation of a white woman being wronged by a black man, right? So to me, is this again? You know, going back to Heidi's story, right? She shared a very intimate story of herself. If there's a crime committed against a woman, the law has, has its due process to pr prosecute that criminal, right? But the, 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 the reaction is that, oh, it's, uh, the media will hype it up. Oh, these are the savage race doing something bad to our race. And then the reaction is that they are wholesale, like, uh, lynching, uh, a mob justice. And this is very similar to what you said internationally, uh, that, oh, this, uh, poor woman died in a police custody. Therefore, police must have a blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, just go after that policeman who, uh, who is responsible for that Iranian woman's death. And, uh, that should be it, you know, and, uh, similar to, uh, what, uh the a recent story is this, I forgot. Uh, oh yeah. These, uh, Americans are being killed in Mexico. I was like, these, uh, drug cartel is very reasonable. <laughs> they just round up five of their members saying these are the five members responsible for the death of these two Americans travelers, uh, tourists. Go after them. You know, I found that these are reasonable, you know, because the law is supposed to be one case at a time, one perpetrator at a time. And, you know, it's not like, oh, you know, somehow, you know, it's a wholesale prosecution of a particular class of people. You know, in this case, I've said, you know, in Texas, they say, no, 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 no Chinese can buy land in Texas. I said, what the F is that about? So... Well, great conversation, guys. Uh, Amanda, again, uh, uh, I will, I promise I want to, I will dig into more because, uh, I, I noticed that, uh, that, uh, a lot of folks is, uh, uh, advocating that class struggle is more of a issue than the racial equality. And, uh, uh, I want to dig deeper into that. Uh, I know, I think, uh, Richard Wolf have said that, uh, Chris Hedges have said that. Uh, again, I always said I'm not in complete disagreement with these the, two scholars, but uh, but I do know they they spend a lot of their time on the class issue, uh, and uh, I, I should pay some attention to exactly what 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 they're saying. So I'll do that. Anything else, guys? If no more, well, thank you also very much. Again, it's I know it's a boring topics, but I appreciate you guys uh, spend. Uh, part of your Sunday here, and uh, I hope I will see you uh, see you uh, uh, next week. I might switch the topic for next week uh, because uh, the Homeland Security uh, published this uh, mass shooting reports. I want to go over that reports and uh, that, that report. So, thank you guys. Have a great rest of your Sunday. Not boring at all. It's